0: CHAPTER FOUR OF RICEMON'S STEPS BY ARNOLD Bennett. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY ANTONY OGUS Elsie. Now, now, Elsie, my girl, what's this? What is it? Mr Earl Forward spoke benevolently, but for him rather quickly and abruptly, and Elsie was intimidated. She worked for Mr Earl Forward only in the mornings, and to be in the shop in the darkening afternoon made her feel quite queer and apologetic. It was almost as if she had never been in the shop before, and had no right there. As the two approached each other, the habitual heavenly kindness in the girl's gaze seemed to tranquillise Mr Earl Forward, who knew intimately her expression and her disposition, and though he was still disturbed by apprehension he found, as usual, a mysterious comfort in her presence, and this influence of hers exercised itself even upon his fear of losing her forever. A strange, exciting emotional equilibrium became established in the twilight of the shop. Elsie was a strongly built wench, plump, fairly tall, with a striking, free, powerful carriage of one bred to various and hard manual labour. Her arms and bust were superb, She had blue-black hair and dark-blue eyes, and a pretty curve of the lips. The face was square but soft. From the constant drawing together of the eyebrows into a pucker of the forehead, and the dropping of the corners of the large mouth, it could be deduced that she was, if anything, over-conscientious, with a tendency to worry about the right performance of her duty. But this warping of her features was too slight to be unpleasant. It was, indeed, a reassurance. She was twenty-three years of age. Solitude, adversity and deprivation made her look older. For four years she had been a widow, childless, after two nights of marriage and romance, with a youth who went to the East in 1915 to die of dysentery. Her clothes were cheap, dirty, slatternly and dilapidated. Over a soiled white apron she wore a terribly coarse apron of sacking. This apron was an offence, it was an outrage, but not to her. She regarded it as part of a uniform, and such an apron was, in fact, part of the regular uniform of thousands of women in Clerkenwell. If else he was slatternly dirty and without any grace of adornment, THE REASON WAS THAT SHE HAD ABSOLUTELY NO INDUCEMENT OR EXAMPLE TO BE OTHERWISE. IT WAS HER NATURAL, RESPECTABLE STATE TO BE SO. IT'S FOR MRS. ARB, SIR, Elsie BEGAN. MRS. ARB? QUESTIONED A MR. EARL FORWARD, PUZZLED FOR AN INSTANT BY THE UNFAMILIAR NAME. YES, YES, I KNOW. WELL, WHAT HAVE YOU GOT TO DO WITH MRS. ARB? I WORK FOR HER IN MY AFTERNOON, SIR, BUT I NEVER KNEW THIS. I only began today, sir. She sent me across, seeing as I'm engaged here, to see if you've got a good, cheap, second-hand cookery book. Mr Earl demeanour reflected no change in his mood, but Elsie had raised him into heaven. It was not to give him notice that she had come. She would stay with him. She would stay for ever, or until he had no need of her and she would make a link with Mrs Arb, the new proprietress of the confectioner's shop across the way. Of course the name of the new proprietress was Arb. He had not thought of her name. He had thought only of herself. Even now he had no notion of her Christian name. Oh, so she wants a cookery book, does she? What sort of a cookery book? She said she's thinking of going in for sandwiches, sir, and things, she said, and having a sign put up for it snacks like the word snacks gave mr earl an idea he walked across to what he called the modern side of the shop in the course of the war when food rations stay at homes really had to stay at home and having nothing else to do while waiting for air raids took to literature in desperation he had done a very large trade in cheap editions of novels and quite a good trade in cheap cookery books that profess to teach rationed housewives how to make substance out of shadow. Gently rubbing his little beard, he stood and gazed rather absently at a shelf of small paper-protected volumes while Elsie waited with submission. Silence within, but the dulled and still hard rumble of ceaseless motion beyond the book screened windows. A spell an enchantment upon these two human beings, both commonplace and both marvellous, bound together and yet incurious each of the other and incurious of the mysteries in which they and all their fellows lived. Mr Earl never asked the meaning of life, for he had a lifelong ruling passion. Elsie never asked the meaning of life, for she was dominated and obsessed by a tremendous instinct to serve mr earl though a kindly man had persuaded himself that elsie would go on charing until she died without any romantic recompense from fate for her early tragedy and he was well satisfied that this should be so because the result would inconvenience him he desired that she should not fall in love again and marry he preferred that she should spend her strength and youth and should grow old for him in sterile celibacy he had absolutely no eye for the exciting effect of the white and the brown apron strings crossing and recrossing round her magnificent waist and elsie knew only that mr earl had material wants which she satisfied as well as she could she did not guess nor come within a hundred miles of guessing that he was subject to dreams and ideals and longings that the universe was enigmatic had not even occurred to her nor to him they were too busy with their share in working it out now is a book that ought to suit mrs arb said mr earl forward picking a volume from the shelf and moving towards the entrance where the clear daylight was snacks and tipbits. let me see sandwiches he turned over leaves sandwiches there's nearly seven pages about sandwiches how much would it be sir "'One shilling?' "'Oh, she said she couldn't pay more than sixpence, sir,' she said. Mr Earl Ford looked up with a fresh interest. He was exhilarated, even inspired, by the conception of a woman who, wishing to brighten her business with a new line of goods, was not prepared to spend more than sixpence on the indispensable basis of the enterprise. The conception powerfully appealed to him, and his regard for Mrs Arb increased. See here, Elsie, take this over for Mrs Arb to look at, and tell her with my compliments that you can't get cookery books, not any that are any good, for sixpence in these days. Yes, sir. Elsie put the book under her aprons and hurried off. She sends you her compliments, and she says she can't pay more than sixpence, sir. I'm that sorry, sir elsie announced returning mr earl forward blandly replaced the book on its shelf and elsie waited in vain for any comment then left i say elsie he recalled her it's not raining much but it might soon as you're here you better help me in with the stand that'll save me taking the books out before it's moved and it'll save you trouble in the morning yes sir elsie eagerly agreed One at either end of it, they lugged within the heavy bookstand that stretched along the length of the window and the flagstones outside the shop. The book showed scarcely a trace of the drizzle. Thank you, Elsie. Don't mention it, sir. Mr Earl switched on one electric light in the middle of the shop, switched off the light in his den, and lit a candle there. Then he took a thermos flask, a cup, and two slices of bread on a plate from the interior of the grandfather's clock, poured steaming tea into the cup, and enjoyed his evening meal. When the bell of St Andrews jangled six, he shut and darkened the shop. The war habit of closing early suited him very well for several reasons. Then, blowing out the candle, he began again to burn electricity in the den, and tapped slowly and moved to and fro with deliberation, examining book titles, tapping out lists, tapping out addresses on envelopes, licking stamps, and performing other pleasant little tasks of routine. And all the time he dwelt with exquisite pleasure on the bodily appearance and astonishing moral characteristics of Mrs. Arb. What a woman! He had been right about that woman from the first glance. She was a woman in a million. At a quarter to seven he put his boots on and collected his letters for the post. But before leaving to go to the post he suddenly thought of a tensioning treasury note received from Dr Rasta and took it from his waistcoat pocket. It was a beautiful new note, a delicate object, carefully folded by someone who understood that new notes deserve good treatment. He put it, with other less brilliant cash, into the safe. As he departed from the shop for the post office at Mount Pleasant, he picked out snacks and bits from its shelf again and slipped it into his side pocket. The rain had ceased. He inhaled the fresh damp air with an innocent and genuine delight. Mrs. Arb's shop was the sole building illuminated in Rysamon's steps. It looked warm and feminine, It attracted. The church rose darkly, a formidable mass, in the opening at the top of the steps. The little group of dwelling-houses next to his own establishment showed not a sign of life. They seldom did. He knew nothing of their tenants, and felt absolutely no curiosity concerning them. His little yard abutted on the yard of the nearest house, but the wall between them was seven feet high. No sound ever came over it he turned into the main road. Although he might have dropped his correspondence into the pillar-box close by, he preferred to go to the mighty Mount Pleasant organism, with its terrific night movement of vans and flung mail-bags, because it seemed surer, safer, for his letters. Like many people who live alone, he had a habit of talking to himself in the street. His thoughts would, from time to time, suddenly burst almost with violence into a phrase, then he would smile to himself, me at my age. Yes, and of course there's that. Once I'm getting used to, he would laugh rather sheepishly. The vanquished were already beginning to creep into the mazes of Roten House. They clicked through a turnstile, that was all he knew about existence in Roten House, except that there were plants with large green leaves in the windows of the common room. Some of the vanquished entered with boldness, but the majority walked furtively. Just opposite Roten House, the wisdom and enterprise of two railway companies had filled a blank wall with a large poster exhibiting the question, Why not take a winter holiday where sunshine rains, etc. Beneath this blank wall, a newsman displayed the posters of the evening papers, together with stocks of the papers. Mr Earlforward always read the placards for news. There was nothing much tonight. Death of a well-known statesman. Mr Earl Forward, as an expert in interpretation, was aware that well-known on a newspaper placard meant exactly the opposite of what it meant in any other place. It meant not well-known. The placards always divided dead celebrities, genuine and false, into three categories. If blank was a supreme personage, the placard said, blank dead. Two most impressive words. If blank was a real personage, but not quite supreme, the placard said, death of blank. Three words, not so impressive. All others, nameless, were in the third category of well-knowns. Nevertheless, Mr Earl Forward walked briskly back as far as the free library to glance at a paper perhaps not because he was disturbed about the identity of a well-known statesman, but because he hesitated to carry out his resolution to enter Mrs Arb's shop. End of chapter 4